is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin, super spreading Bitcoin 2022. Today is March the 11th. 2022. Do you remember what you were doing two years ago? Strong hand, long term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Unconfiscatable. Bitcoin single issue voter. Right here, baby. Solutions over sympathy. I'm offended by selling. This is where the big boys pay. Play. <laughs> Compete. Don't complain, everybody. Conviction. Defiance over compliance. Best guest in the freaking space. I'm bringing you two new ones here today, a one classic one. Hello, my elite friends. Ask questions. We got answers for you. Do a super chat. Type in Bitcoin Meister. I am very excited to be here today. We're back on a freaking Friday. We, we're about two years away. Only about two years away from the Bitcoin 2024 having. Well, this time freaking fly or what in this space okay matt moore is coming in from oklahoma ken ken, <laughs> ken is here he's from uh well he's gonna talk about his company soon but i met him at, he was in vegas i didn't actually get to meet him and uh i don't know where ken is right now but uh and of course the legendary guy swan is is in the fr freaking house he has made his return i want to remind everybody that yeah Guy and Ken saw me last week in Las Vegas, and we're going to talk about a special guest that was in Las Vegas um, that hardly any of you know. You're going to get some insider information here. But coming up is, of course, Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, Florida, April 6th to the 9th. I'm going to read my promo soon, but use the Adam10 discount code. Yes, of course, I am going to be there. There are actually people who have such horrible attention spans and don't and have no listening comprehension whatsoever, who I guess just like to look at my hair. All these weeks I've talked about being in Miami and still people have asked, are you going to be in Miami, Adam, for the conference? Of course I am. I've talked about it every darn week. The name of the show is Super Spreading Bitcoin Miami 2022. All right. Bitcoin 2020. So I'm really excited about it. But before we – let's talk about history here a little bit, okay? We're, we're going to start it up with Guy Swan. And I just want to – I want to calm everybody down a little bit. Now, it is good to be excited about Bitcoin. And as everybody knows, I, I've got the shirt on that says pound that like button for Bitcoin. I'm really excited for Bitcoin. And two years, we should be excited that the Bitcoin halving is, is going to be coming. But I want everybody to take a moment and think about two years ago on March the 12th. When everybody thought the freaking world was going to end, and not everybody, but these panic prisoners, the 80 percenters, selling their Bitcoin, selling everything. Bitcoin dropped below $4,000. I bought two Bitcoin for a combined $10,000. Of course, I still own them. <laughs> Strong freaking hand. But put it, there are people out there, Guy Swan commented on this on his feed. That are saying this is the worst. What's going on right now? They say is the worst, worst volatility they, they've ever seen. I mean, are they, do they have the memories of goldfish? Yes, they have the memories of goldfish. Are they short-term thinkers? Yes. Are they impulsive? Yes. It was worse two years ago. This is nothing, people. So I, I want to put it in perspective, but I do want to. I want to do another thing. Say another thing here. Usually, about two years before the having, uh, 
you know, last time it was 2018, the other times it was 2014. What do 2018 and 2014 have in common? They are, uh, they, they were definitely part of bear markets, okay? So I want everybody to get, to get used to it, that we might be in a bear market, that it might not be different this time. So with all that said, Guy, where do you think we are in all this year? Do, do, do you think it is 2018 all over again? And do you have any sweet memories of uh, 2020 and people panicking on this very 48-hour uh, period uh, two years ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, like you don't even have to go back. The the tweet that you were talking about with does do people just not remember anything? Like, I mean, just just look at the chart. There's nothing. There's nothing unusual about these little green and red candles down at the end of this thing. Uh, I mean, it, it just looks in fact, it looks rather boring, really, from like kind of the whole scope of what you're looking at in price performance. Um, and the comment specifically was like, oh, it went up 15 and it went down 15 then went up 10%. It went down 10% in like a week or like a week and a half or something like that. It was like 10 days, I think, actually, if you're, you're going by the percentage moves. But all, you, like just January of last year, it basically did the same thing. Um, it was on the way up, but, but you actually saw, there was actually a candle from a, uh, Oh man, what was it? It was like fifty thousand down to thirty-eight thousand, and then the very next daily candle was back up to like forty-four or something. I mean, like, like none of this price move is even slightly unusual, like even slightly. Like this is how Bitcoin always fucking always moves, and uh, with uh, with everything that's that is moving right now from like going back to March of twenty twenty. I mean, and we could, in the context of your question of whether or not we're in a bear market or not, um, is we could be, we could be. I genuinely don't think so. Like, if, like if you were forcing me to bet, I really don't think so. There's too much. There's too much happening. Bitcoin is too important in the world stage right now. I kind of think we're leaving the the era of very explicit hype waves and bear markets like i think we're just going to be messy and growing for the foreseeable future um and it also makes sense too in the context of the having cycles mattering less and less because it is less and less about inflation that is actually a suppressant on the price like inflate quote unquote inflation like new issuance of bitcoin right now is about 1.7 percent which means we're, we've kind of matched what the the traditional gold supply inflation is uh, in Bitcoin. Like when you go from 50 Bitcoin down to 25 Bitcoin, the supply shock of new issuance is huge. There's a huge, huge shift in, you know, how much new capital or excuse me, how much new, uh, how many, how many new Bitcoin units are coming into the economy to satisfy the capital. So it creates a massive supply shock and the price is going to skyrocket. And then similarly from 25 down to 12 and a half, um, like that's, that's going to seem like a very big supply shock. But as you get smaller and smaller, as you're in the one to 2% inflation range, going from two to 2% 2 to 1%, eh, that doesn't matter a whole lot. The supply, the new supply is no longer the deciding factor. 
We're just looking at network demand, how the market treats this as an asset. Is this a risk off asset, et cetera, et cetera. How the geopolitical, like how the world stage views Bitcoin. And I think we're now in this, this weird place where I don't think, I think to have a sustained and very messy bear market, Bitcoin has to not matter again. And I don't think, I don't think we're in a place where Bitcoin doesn't matter. I think we're in a place where everything that's happening around the world shows how much Bitcoin does matter. Um, and I know we're not on this, the executive order yet, but I think the executive order is actually, it, as much as I think just almost anything government does is going to be antithetical to Bitcoin, not bad for Bitcoin, but like a hindrance to what Bitcoin should be. Um, I actually think what we're seeing with the executive order and what I think will come out of that mentality and possibly the reasons that went into making the executive order the way it was is actually really bullish for Bitcoin. <laughs> it's an indication that I think there are a lot of very powerful people who don't want to hurt Bitcoin because they're seeking profit. They're, they're seeking uh, a return and an involvement in a huge space that is clearly growing and is clearly legitimate now. Whereas three or four years ago, the question of whether or not this was legitimate and that we should even treat this as anything other than just criminal activity and shit tokens was totally up in the air, totally up in the air. It was, there was no consensus one way or the other as to what this was going to be. And now I think it's obvious that this is a permanent thing mm -hmm. and that they should be learning about it. And it kind of feels like this is what they just admitted. Yeah, um, you know, that so I'm glad, I'm glad you said that about the executive order insider information right there on his part. I, I, I agree. I think they back down. I think they're scared. I, I, <laughs> I, I think people are expecting them to you know, smack around uh, Bitcoin. I think they know it's in their best interest not to try to smack around Bitcoin. I, I think that's what it revealed. But we, 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 we definitely will get into that. I, please talk about that when we talk about the executive order. I think that's a real, that is a great take on it. Oh, God. Check out all these guys. They are linked to below. Ask questions, dudes. Come on. we got a great panel here today. Um, and we're living in a, in, a, in a world today where everything is the worst ever. It's like any news story, everyone just takes everything to an extreme. So obviously, this must be the worst Bitcoin market ever. Everything's the worst ever. That country over there in Eastern Europe, they're the worst ever. They're the worst since Germany. And I mean, it's which is these people just cannot take anything in moderation anymore. It's everything must be the worst. Everything must be extreme. Everything, come on. We've probably lived through this before, people. If it's a bear, if we're still in the bull, we, we shall see. Uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, but people love to worry about everything because everything is the worst ever. This is the worst day ever. The worst day. Uh, I, I want to read a Chris Black tweet out there. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is a great geopolitical is of great geopolitical importance, and it's very terrible that people are being hurt or killed. But unless you are in the Ukraine or you have family there, it should not be the most important thing going on in your life right now. I I, I just want to put that out there. Uh, I think a lot of people in this show don't prioritize what the mainstream media puts into their faces as, as what they should worry about. But we we are in a world now where that suddenly there's no more virus anymore. It's you got to be concerned about what's going on in Eastern Europe. And the the markets are overreacting to it. And I, I just want to tell Bitcoiners, too. Yeah, it, it's true. The Bitcoin price dropped when when Putin started doing this, that and the other. It will pass. 
Putin is nothing. Russia is nothing for you, dude. Sure, your gas prices are. This is going to go away, dudes. It is. It, I mean, again, it, it's a it's a geopolitical event. It's it's a big one. Whatever. Okay, dudes. In the long run, we're going to look back on this. It, it's it's nothing, dude. There there are all these doomers that want there to be World War Three. That want there to be the world the world to end. They're never going to get it. Never going to get it. Never going to get it. Pound that like button. So let's go back to the top. I just want to put that out there. Uh, Ken, you're building a business during this market, okay? So you've got to take into account, is this really a bull market? Is this really a bear market? you you got to take that into account trends. So do you have any sweet memories from 2020? Is it different this time from 2018? Are we in a bear market? What's we just put a lot on the table for you. So the, sure. the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I think about bear market, I have a I have a signal that I look for. And it's when everybody starts publishing that Bitcoin is dead. And I have not been seeing that recently. Uh, it doesn't feel like a bear market. All the companies that I know that are building on Bitcoin, everybody I know working in the industry is working harder than ever. Everyone's still hiring. So uh, even though the price has gone down, I have not seen blood in the streets. I do not see the gnashing of teeth. You know, like things, you know, no one is 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 being a dooms, doomsayer here. So uh, I don't think we are in a bear market. Uh, and I think if if we do get to a bear market, we are we're going to know it's going to be very obvious. Um, I think everybody right now who, who maybe they put money in at the top and they've lost half half their investment. Um, highly confident that it's going to go right back up. So, uh, you know, again, bear market is when folks are saying, there's no hope we're, we're at the end. And maybe that doesn't happen. Like, like I said, maybe we're past that point in time, but um, you know, which hopefully we are, that'd be great. Cause I don't want to have to worry too much about this stuff, <laughs> but, uh, but, but as a business, you know what they say, it's um, it's always good to build during what, the, what they call crypto winter, right? That's a good time to build because you don't get too distracted by the price. And frankly, there's a small part of me that's wishing for a crypto winter because I am, I have so much going on. I've been so busy. I just I need a little downtime, you know. So, um, so sometimes, sometimes it's not it's not the worst thing in the world to have a little breathing room. I will say this. Yeah, I actually wanted to actually wanted to add to that real quick um, because uh, I will say that I said that if you were forcing me to bet, I would not bet that we're going into a bear market. But I'm also not longing or setting myself up to need to be in a bull market. Right. Like I'm just I've lost all expectation of pretending to know what the Bitcoin price is going to do in the short to medium term. I just don't care anymore. I'm going to set myself up such that I know in the next three or four years I am fine no matter what happens either way. I can sort it out. Um, but uh, on, on his point about the needing of winter from time to time, I actually hope we're not past the periods of oh, it is bloody hell, it's awful, everybody's calling Bitcoin dead, and everybody thinks that it's just over, because those truly are the best times in, in Bitcoin, because you get all the, all the noise goes away, all of the nonsense is pushed out, and you can actually focus on things, and you can actually get things done. It's very nice to be quiet and quote-unquote unimportant again, mm -hmm. So that you can just be Bitcoin and you can just build Bitcoin stuff. I really hope we have another, at least another one of those left in uh, in Bitcoin's future. It's the best time to get some more Bitcoin. So, what, what would you guys say at your personal take on this whole situation currently? I mean, if you look at twenty twenty, 
to where we are today, there's obviously a different kind of money that's in the space now. And one thing that bugs me the most is a lot of these institutional players treat Bitcoin like a risky, you know, uh, uh, tech stock. Uh, and in reality, you know, there's a, a whole plethora of Bitcoiners that, that know the truth. And there's a lot of people that are learning and being educated. Do you guys think that has anything to do with this, uh, what I would classify as maybe an extended cycle? I think that now, yeah, I mean, you see more of a correlation between Bitcoin and, and stocks, right? That's the thing that is probably most concerning to me about it, especially if we see a recession in the next year or so. Um, you know, if that takes the price of Bitcoin down with it because people treat it as a similar type of asset and, you know, the market gets rough, they sell it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, right? We're not entirely sure, uh, you know, what, what percentage of people in Bitcoin are institutions treating it like a stock and which are like MicroStrategy and Block, where these are assets on their on their uh, books that they want to hold, you know, long term, right? So I think that'll be the true true tell of you know how people are really looking at things. Guy Swan, any thoughts? I, yeah, I would say. Um, uh, I would say it's a process of education. It's a process of maturity. Like it was inevitable that we ended up here. Um, and in fact, to get to where we want to go, it's impossible to skip this step. Um, because what you're looking at is the market realizing it's a legitimate asset and then simply thinking it's another equity, simply treating it as if it's just another stock to invest in. And the monetary network and the monetary understanding is going to grow very, very slowly. And most people are going to come into it thinking I'm buying a token, a stock, an equity, and it will be a slow trickle to the actual foundation, the, the real network effect underneath of a monetary good to build out. I, I think it's impossible for it to get to this size without it then correlating with all of the other things that are this size for at least some span of time. And while the monetary network is not, it, there, there's not tons of activity or tons of like fundamental growth in Bitcoin as money, but just as an investment, just as a speculation of a legitimate asset moving into the institutional space. Well, of course, when all the other activity is kind of quiet, it's just going to move to the stock market. But I don't think that means it's quote unquote correlated with the stock market in the sense that this is not fundamentally different from how those things work. And that when there is movement in the monetary network and, and the base of people saving and the supply schedule that cannot be changed, that it's not going to just at certain key moments, just completely ignore the stock market and do the exact opposite. Like, I don't think this means that the stock market is now destined to tell Bitcoin what to do. Just the opposite. Bitcoin's going to do what the hell it wants to do. And for the meantime, following equities is just the least common uh, the, the path of least resistance. Matt, so you're, you're, you're doing your business, man. You're doing in Tulsa. You got your radio show. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, but so, so what, what is your take on, on uh, the, the, the current situation and, and your, your history uh, from 2020 or 2018, whatever you want to compare it to? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was I was class of 2017. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of people that have been in this space longer than I have, but I I drank that orange pill pretty hard. Uh, I was already into sound money uh, during the financial crisis of 08 to 09, and uh, when I stumbled across Bitcoin, I kind of watched it from afar, and then I jumped into it. But uh, once I started to really understand what Bitcoin was trying to achieve and what it is, um, I look at today and I go, you know, from where it was, you know, in 17 when I got in. Yeah, the field 
you know, the, the, the whole industry and the marketplace looks drastically different uh, than in my, in my opinion, than it did 2017. And I do think, you know, my comment about, you know, the institutional investors and bigger players getting involved and, and people being not quite as educated, uh, you know, people showing up to conferences and not knowing, you know, what these people stand for, you know, and they, they start talking about, uh, you know, different crypto projects when in reality it's a Bitcoin conference, you know, it's like, there's a lot of education that needs to take place. That's why I do the radio show. Uh, I'm trying to cast a big, big net, uh, trying to educate boomers on why Bitcoin is valuable. I mean, podcasts and YouTube are great, but, uh, again, you, you, we're trying to catch people where they are. Uh, and I, and I've seen a lot of success in that and people realizing the real problems with the monetary system and how Bitcoin will play a part in that. I do, I do agree with um, Guy Swan in his his analysis of you know the honey badger of money is going to do what it's going to do, and and it doesn't matter what stocks are going to do in the long run. Um, I I do know that you know I I kind of see his point in this whole correlation uh, in this small window of time, uh, but I do think that'll change as as the situation gets drastically worse monetarily. Um, you know, we're talking about the, you know, a lot of people are talking about the end of the world, although I don't think it's world war three, uh, or that we're going to witness anything like that. Uh, I do find it eerily, uh, you know, how, how history often rhymes, you know, and you guys hear that all the time, which is, you know, if you look at the average lifespan of a, of a fiat currency, rarely do they go beyond 50 years. And ever since 1971, when Nixon took us off, you know, we became a true fiat currency. And then when you look at the average lifespan of a world reserve currency, you know, them holding it to 80 to 90 years, uh, you know, and after World War II, America got that crown. If you were to, you know, take those two macro trends and, and map them together, they're kind of converging. Uh, and, and I think, you know, when you start seeing inflation, you start seeing price controls, you start seeing unrest, you start seeing war. Uh, and, and I think it, 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 I'm going to speculate here. Um, I do think that, uh, Russia, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe the narrative that, that the mainstream media is pushing out there. And I don't believe the, the narrative quite what Russia is putting out there. I think it's, a, it's somewhere in between. Uh, and I do think that, uh, the monetary system is going to, uh, be impacted uh, to a, to a larger extent to what's taking place with all of these sanctions. I think Russia may have a card up their sleeve, um, and I think things are going to probably get worse monetarily, which I think is going to bode well for Bitcoin. And I do suspect a time frame in the near future where there will be a panic to own hard assets. Good, good points there. You 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 alluded to what we were talking about off the off air. I mentioned how. At Tone Vase's freaking unconfiscatable conference, somebody was asking me about Shiba, okay, telling me about how he made money off of Shiba. It's <laughs> the, the craziness that you hear out there. It, it's unbelievable. But let, let's stick with the sound money here. Uh, and you actually mentioned price controls. And I, I brought this up in the title because I haven't heard too many people talk about price controls yet. But there's no doubt we have inflation. Okay, there's just no doubt we, we in the United States. It's crazy driving across the United States, driving into California. I mean, seeing those gas prices approach six dollars, it's sickening. It's disgusting. Um, but it it is what it is. And these government officials, they 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 have to put their fingers on anything. People are complaining. So I I really see. I don't know about the United States. I, have, I hope not in the United States, but in some first world countries, Canada, who knows, price controls. Do you see it happening? Do you see it happening, Matt Moore, in the United States? Oh, um, absolutely. I don't, I don't put anything past the government. I think, um, in fact, 
you know, if we, as all you guys know, if we were to measure inflation, it's not 7.9 or 7.8%. It's probably 15 to 20%. Um, but I, I, I think as things erode, um, you know, government's all about control and power. And if things start, you know, disintegrating, uh, they're going to try to do anything and everything to try to keep their status quo and their system uh, in order. Uh, and I do think the inevitable will happen. I think we are witnessing the decline of the, the American empire, or should I say the petrodollar system uh, or the, the American banking cartel. Uh, but I, I, think, um, I think during this transition, it's going to be pretty bumpy and the politicians are going to do everything in their power to try to do a, what they would call a controlled crash landing. Do I think they will be successful at it? Absolutely not. Dude, I just want to say, if we have price controls, that's a lot worse than inflation. Dude. That will mess up production in an, a way that no one that's young today or no one that's – no one's lived through price controls. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm too young to know. But I mean, this – it would be devastating to have price controls. It is, it is so against capitalism, price controls. It, 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 the confusion and that, that could be caused the – I mean, supply chains destroyed. I, I see hard. I hope it doesn't come to that. I do think it's going to come to that in some first world countries, though. And hopefully we'll see it happen in like Canada beforehand and not let it happen in the United States. Uh, Ken, do you think that price controls are coming to the United States? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, I, I do imagine it would go to it would happen in Canada before the U.S., um, that just seems to be where things are going. Thank God that we have this experimental training ground to the north where they can ruin their country before <laughs> here. Uh, we really appreciate their sacrifice. But, um, you know, but it's hard to say. I think I'd have to talk to my parents about what, what happened with price controls before before I existed. Um, but, but from my understanding, it didn't go over all that well. Uh, and I think there's going to be a temptation there. Obviously, uh, you know, if prices do get out of control with inflation, I do think that there is a, a, you know, if if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think the governments can see that and say, well, we can control the prices because the prices are too high. So I think there will at least be a temptation there. But hopefully we don't have anybody too crazy in our government that will actually move forward with that. Well, if Elizabeth Warren becomes president of the United States, we'll have price controls. Um, Guy Swan. He's what's not going to president of the United States. Though. <laughs> I, I certainly hope not. Uh, do you, unfortunately... I, I, she would be the worst president for Bitcoin. I, I, I will say right there for all of us. I, she would be, but do, do, don't eliminate her. She, this is a serious, unfortunately, this woman is taken very, very, very serious in, in this country. It's, she's a joke. Uh, she, 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 but she, she gets people emotional. Oh, this Bitcoin is horrible. It's, it's, it's hurting the poor people. We, we need, it's, it's the, it's the reason we have inflation is because the greedy corporations, uh, Guy Swan, price controls. Elizabeth Warren, what's up? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll absolutely have price controls. Um, there's there's no way around it. Uh, I don't I don't think I've read um, in thousands and thousands of hours. I don't think I've read of a single in, significant inflationary event that did not come with price controls. Um, it is it is the one. It is you know the government is the hammer and every problem is a nail like price controls is the only thing they know how to do i think even generally they know it doesn't even work but it doesn't matter because they have to look like they're doing something and they have to pretend they're in control um uh, we even we've even had it it's like not even 
like unprecedented for the U.S. The U.S. uses it all the time, actually. Um, like, what is what is all this shit with the Federal Reserve and QE? It's just price controls on interest rate. Yes. Like, that is, is built into our economy. Like, we know what price controls do. Uh, when you price control the interest rate, you get a 50-year debt bubble that causes this problem where then we have horrific inflation or a massive credit crisis and massive poverty and starvation because they've just mismanaged the economy. We have price controls. Um, and they did the same thing when, uh, um, what was the Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. Um, they slapped price controls on sort on like water and gas and all this stuff, which it's a complete, it's a complete failure to understand the utter basics of economics is that you don't make water more prevalent. You don't increase the water, the supply of like clean water or gas by putting price controls. Like people, more people don't get the gas or the water because you made it cheaper because you didn't make it cheaper. You didn't make more supply. In fact, the only way that you could fuel, uh, you could have the capital to fuel more supply is for the people who need it most desperately to pay an incredibly high price to encourage everybody to dump massive amounts of supply. Like if there's, if you've just run out of bottled water in all of Louisiana because of a massive hurricane and because nobody was drinking bottled water before, and now everyone is drinking bottled water, you know what you need to do? You need to sell every bottle of water for $10 a bottle because you want people with pickup trucks in New York filling the entire truck packed full worth of water bottles so that they will drive 16 hours south and sell it to people in Louisiana. That is the only way that you get more water. If you price control it at 99 cent a bottle, everybody just fucking, God, I, sorry. Everybody just goes thirsty. Everybody just dies of not having any water. You just don't have any water anywhere because you need it from other places. And guess what it costs? Gas and people and labor and hours to move it from other places down to where it's needed. Um, so the price control doesn't do anything. It's utter illusion. And all it does is further manipulate a damaged economic system. Um, so yeah, no, uh, we're going to get price controls. It's going to cause terrible problems, just like price controls always have. And like the problem that we are in, that they're going to need to use price controls to fix is exactly caused by price control. This, this is where we are. This is, this is government. Well, I got to say, I want to remind everybody that price controls, definitely economic fascism. So when the people that start, I mean, it's going to be the people that love to call people fascist are going to be the ones that are going to be calling for these fascist economic uh, policies. I mean, it's completely interfering with the, the private market and picking winners and losers. Oh, well, the, the bread's too expensive. So you bread guys, you, 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 we, you, you can't charge as much. But you people who make uh, apple juice, you're fine. We're not going to interfere with you. It, it's fat. It's picking winners and losers. It's disgusting. It's the government being your uh, your partner, pretending that the, 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 their private uh, enterprise. It's sickening. But I, I hope it does not get to, to this in the United States of America. But you, you do make a point. Yes, the, the the price of money is already uh, it's already price controlled by 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 the Fed. Very good point. That's too complex for some people to grasp. But we yes, we we already live. Uh, in, in, in terms of the price of money is, yeah, it's already a uh, price controls. So uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Well, I, I, I guess a follow-up though is uh, since we're talking about centrally controlled uh, financial policies, uh, it seems like war is a good excuse not to uh, raise interest rates. 
Uh, do, do you think that the Fed will put it up? This this uh, Russia thing is just uh, going to be a, a way for them to say, yeah, we, we we won't do as many rates or any rates uh, rate hikes. Uh, Guy Swan, real quick on that. Uh, so, sorry, what was the so, question? No, 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 it, the, the, the Fed won't uh, raise uh, rates uh, because uh, they're uh, going to use the Russia war as an excuse. Just it, it's oh, just yeah. Not- there was always there was always going to be another excuse. Um, in fact, that would be the only way to avoid price controls is to raise rates, um, because we have two options. We have either we're in such a horrific debt crisis that either we have a credit crisis or we have a currency crisis. There is there is there's no there's, like it's either or. There's there's no avoiding a crisis. It's what kind of crisis do we want? Do is the money going to pay for our gross irresponsibility for the last 30 years or is the credit market going to pay for our gross irresponsibility for the last 30 years um if the credit market does it well then prices won't be a problem because the money supply will vanish uh but the way money is the way debt is created in our market is it's new money like debt is issued as new currency so when you have defaults all the way across the economy and Moreover, like leveraged, you have a leveraged situation where we're, you know, one one person's liability is actually the promise of another person's liability that was created as another person's liability. When you have this cascading debt where everybody is dependent on the next person in the line, you have these, this is how you get a credit crisis. You have these ridiculous dominoes where one person defaults and then that's somebody's payment to another thing or that's the underlying value in somebody's equity. And then that domino falls because that's no longer worth what it's worth or what it looked like it was worth. And then the next domino and the next domino. So rather than having any buffers like savings and actual productivity, you have nothing but debts. So we're tied to each other. All the dominoes are really, really close together. So one of them starts, one of them, one big one falls and everything falls. Um, And so if we had a credit crisis, well, then you're actually looking at massive amounts of money supply vanishing. Like that's why, that's why modern economists think that deflation is a terrible thing because the only time they see it is after we've printed, you know, a few trillion dollars in extra debt. And then we've watched it collapse because we've mismanaged our money system and we've price controlled interest rates. And so they're like, oh, deflation is bad. It only comes with bad things. Well, but that's because we're following your stupid economics. Um, And uh, so if we had a credit crisis, well, then there would be no problems with inflation because prices would plummet. Uh, Everything, all prices would plummet because money is vanishing from the economy. If we have a currency crisis, that means we're not going to be paying for our debt. We're going to let the money pay for the debt by destroying the currency. Uh, And that is traditionally the in question here absolutely care more about themselves. They care more about their political position and how they are seen and the power and influence than they have that they have than innocent lives. Without a doubt, they don't they do not care about the American people. They do not care about the Middle East or whoever is going to pay for this. Um, they will just do what makes them look best um, because they will let people die to not be embarrassed. Um, right, let, let's talk about those political egos real quick here. The uh, the crypto executive or this is a quote from Eric Voorhees. The crypto executive order basically says we're going to look into this stuff as if they haven't been for years and then lists a number of platitudes and balance <laughs> of platitudes about balancing innovation with protecting the financial system a perfectly political communication 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that one. <laughs> what was your take on it, Matt? Was it a big, uh, big nothing burger, the, uh, the executive order? So when you look at the executive order, obviously it didn't really have much teeth. It was just a bunch of fluff. But here's what's concerning to me. Not, I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is, this is good for Bitcoin. And, and I can see their point in it if, if we're talking about mainstream adoption and regulation and all those things. Um, like I said earlier, I don't have a lot of faith in, in government and the simple fact that, you know, when executive orders take place, especially in this manner, basically Biden's saying, hey, regulatory agencies, we want you to look into this and we want you to make a plan. Well, part of the half the problem with our federal government is the administrative state. And we have these agencies that create these de facto laws and they, they do their own interpretations and Congress has basically given their authority to these administrative agencies. And so, you know, could some good things come out of it for Bitcoin? Sure. But I, I, I honestly wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think uh, right now it's just to buy them some more time. Uh, but I, I do think that it would be more beneficial if something were to be put into actual legislation and moved through Congress. But even even that system is broken. I mean, we are experiencing, again, an erosion of the American government. And that is primarily been poisoned. Our minds, our bodies, our souls, our government have been poisoned by the fiat system. Uh, and so uh, I, I, I would look at it and say, you know, I would much rather see us, you know, take it through legislation. But I think uh, in the long run, whatever happens through this executive order and whatever these regulatory agencies put in place, um, I think we are going to have some kind of restructuring uh, or reinvention of the American government within our lifetime, uh, because I think the whole thing is beyond uh, salvageable. Well, Loomis is going to, we're going to talk about the Loomis legislation that was proposed. Yes, of course, legislation is much better than these freaking administrative state pull it out of your tuchless type of things. Uh, I, 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 I do want to say, though, with the executive order, it seemed like uh, they backed down a little bit, uh, that they, there is some respect out there for, for Bitcoin, that they know it's it's not going away. Uh, and I, I, we'll get to Guy Swan on that in, in a second. Uh, but Ken, what was your, your take on it? Yeah, so, you know, I, I dislike regulation, Bitcoin, and most things as much as the next person. Uh, but I think it was going to come either way, right? It was just inevitable. This is just what happens. Um, you know, there are parts of the executive order that I thought were maybe provided some hope. You know, specifically, uh, they were talking about using it for people who are unbanked, underbanked, cross-border transactions. Uh, I hope those are not just platitudes and that this is actually something. To, to me, what that signals is that the... Um, uh, the government is going to maybe loosen some regulations in, within crypto and Bitcoin uh, as compared to the traditional financial sector, right? Because there are a lot of limitations, like what prevents people from getting bank accounts, right? KYC, right? That's why people are unbanked and underbanked often. Um, same thing. Why are there all these issues with cross-border payments? Well, it's generally these government regulations that are preventing the efficient flow of capital in, in, in and out of countries. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see something interesting there, um, but I, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, you know, be, beyond that, I, you know, running a, a business in the space, you know, on one hand, you can look at regulation and say, well, at least now it will de-risk part of our business because we'll know what the rules are, right? And that can be good. And I think that's how a lot of people are looking at it. But at the same time, I think everyone in the industry is just kind of, you know, not 
not too much on edge because people have been talking about regulation for years now, but everyone's on the edge of their seat. They're like, okay, what is this going to be? And depending on what these regulations are, it could put some people out of business, right? But the those who do remain in business will have much greater clarity, uh, possibly, you know, better ability to, uh, you know, uh, get investment and operate with other financial institutions because it'll just be much more clear exactly how they're supposed to follow the laws. Good point. As a businessman, you're putting yourself out there. You got to deal with these horrible regulations and government bureaucrats. It's, it's so unfortunate. It's so bad. Uh, Guy, Guy Swan, are you still there? I know you're uh, you're traveling. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. All right, cool. We're, we're, you're, you're, we're you've got your unique take you want to share on the executive order that you uh, you alluded to before. Yeah, so um, uh, just on the idea of regulation in general, um, I think there's one thing, one important thing to um, uh, to preface is that I think kind of crappy regulation is or, or or standards in an environment where you know the government is going to come in and do something is actually better than none at all because the market is very good at getting around crappy regulation and it's kind of it's it's kind of like and and the the the, the standards of rules are necessary to properly do business. Otherwise, people are simply going to be too afraid to engage at all. So it's not unlike, you know, the grammar of English might suck and be really inconsistent, but it's more important that simply everybody is speaking the same language and using the same definitions than it is that those definitions and grammar are like uh, are perfectly consistent or make logical sense because the communication is the point. It's not exactly how we do the communication that matters. It's the fact that we can properly communicate. Now, in the context of the regulations itself, like in the executive order, you know, from a couple of weeks ago, um, it was actually announced that the, uh, the executive order was going to happen, uh, like, like it was supposed to happen three weeks ago or something when I first heard about it. And it was supposed to be like days away. And I think part of what they might have been doing, this is, this is a total speculation on my part, but the fact that it was delayed and then we finally got it this week, um, uh, what I kind of think happened was they were, they were fishing. They were fishing for all of their, you know, a political regime only survives because all of their, their top constituents or whatever you want to call it, you know, they have their their buddies, their pals that keep them in power, their news organizations that support them and their agenda, their big corporations, their lobbyists, the unions. They have their little group, right? When they say, oh, we're going to make an executive order about this, I think what part of what they do is they're fishing for their groups to um, uh, for their insider groups to share their opinions about it. And what I think happened was that they got a response, they got pushback that, oh, we need to make sure that this regulation, that this executive order is this. They start, they basically suddenly flooded in with sharing their opinion on this situation. And because of that, they, the executive order ended up being basically a nothing burger because there's clearly a lot of institutional interest that just wants clarity on what the regulations are going to be. So they're playing this, oh, we're supporting innovation and, you know, 
we're just going to explore this area. So the executive order just kind of ended up being like, it's almost kind of stupid that it's an executive order. It's like, is your bureaucracy such a bloated disaster that you had to make an executive order to say, we're going to investigate this new innovation and we're going to legitimize this technology? Like, why? what? Like, isn't that what the thousands of regulatory bodies that we have out there are supposed to do? Um, but anyway, I just think, I actually think this is overall a good thing. Like I kind of despise regulation in a general sense from the government because I think it's typically incompetent and reactionary, uh, which is never how you want to treat a market. But in an environment where you have to have it one way or the other, them just just showing a line of support and uh, or a, a philosophical support, I guess, you know, just basically politically saying, oh, we're not going to attack this thing and we're trying to have some sort of groundwork going forward. I think it's I think it's actually a wonderful thing. Um, and then our job is to as they slowly and kind of pathetically try to figure out what this thing is and make really crappy, annoying, getting in the way of everybody regulations is we build and implement the things that kind of obsolete their attempts to control it before they get before they get it in we can build the solutions faster this thing is software let's let's get the world we want before they kind of finalize where they're going with this i have a question for everybody Uh, i'd love to hear everybody's take on this um and it's kind of a it's more of a speculative uh answer that you're probably going to have to give uh, but you know, when you when we look at what's taking place with the executive order and with the administrative state and even with legislation, uh, how the sausage gets made, uh, you know, we do know that uh, the, the the big lobbyists, the corporations, the banks, the people with all the fiat money, the ones that are closest to the money printers, uh, who are part of the problem to the system right now. Uh, will go and they will donate to their politicians, they will lobby their politicians, and they will pass certain regulations that create a lot of red tape and a lot of structure that, yes, the market might find necessary to to move forward, uh, but then at the same time, it's always in their benefit and not in the competitor's uh, benefit or the smaller guy's benefit. And so uh, it almost becomes impossible to compete when when those guys who are closest to the money printers or the, the seats of power uh, who are who are dictating or this this progression? Uh, wh- what is your take moving forward on? And I guess I'm going to ask Guy this question first. Um, do do we have some trouble uh, trouble spots coming ahead uh, with with these big players? You know, taking this kind of action with how the system is currently set up. Yes, without a doubt. Um, we're I think we're going to have to go through that as kind of a painful part of the transition. Um, but we saw the same thing with the internet, but it didn't stop the internet from disrupting every single communications media that right. we saw. Like it, it did not stop it. All it does is make things really annoying and complicated and painful during the transition, which is kind of inevitable. That's, I don't know, that's what government does in my opinion. Like, uh, like everything that they do, it feels like it's some form of that. The only things that get done are the things that have powerful lobbyists, which means it's going to benefit somebody at the cost of somebody else. And that's the only place, that's the only way you get funding to have a real campaign for something. It's the bootleggers and Baptists theory, right? Is that the Baptists are the philosophical front for getting rid of alcohol um, or for, for prohibition. And the bootleggers are the ones that fund it because they're the ones that are going to make all the profit. 
I don't think that situation has changed. Um, that is what we're going to have to deal with in Bitcoin too. But the beauty of Bitcoin is that you can have uh, you can have smaller competitors that can get around these regulations because the regulations themselves are, are going to be built in the same framework and the same thinking of the old model, of the legacy model. And I think they're going to be largely centered around custody. Yeah. And we can build non-custodial financial services. That is what Lightning Network is. Like I have, I'm able to build a part of the payment, of a global payment infrastructure on a Raspberry Pi computer in my home with, you know, $60,000, $100,000 worth of liquidity for other people in, uh, just in nodes that I'm connected to. And I've got custody for nobody. And the same thing is happening with tools like Lightning Pool. They never hold anybody's funds, but they're actually a market maker for liquidity on Lightning channels. Um, and I think that's what will happen is we'll have to direct our focus towards the non-custodial tools and then play the re regulatory arbitrage game. And then we're going to have to fight this fight for the next 20 years like we did with the Internet. And we're still going to disrupt everything. And then we're going to end up kind of more centralized than we wanted to be. And then we're going to have another whole era of disruption the next time around. Then we're going to have... I don't know, some protocol development or something. I, I don't know. This feels like the, the trend, the ever, the never ending trend of <laughs> a stair step, more decentralization than back, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. We're in, we're rushing through the two steps forward right now, technologically, and we're going to have a political one step back. Uh, and then we're going to have another two steps forward 10, 15 years down the road after we disrupt all the major financial institutions. I, I, I got an answer to your question here, Matt, and I, I'm glad you, you asked that the question here. Of course, the and the custodial thing that uh, that was just brought up by Guy, I, I agree totally. The big banks out there are going to want to make it hard for little guys to hold Bitcoin, okay? Because there are all these people that said, oh, Bitcoin's going to destroy the banks. No, it's not. The banks are just going to transition to holding all sorts of cryptocurrency for people. So they want there to be all sorts of regulations to make it so that they get to monopolize it. You know, they're the one. This is to keep people in the mindset that you need a third party to hold this new kind of money. Okay. And we're, we were your reliable third party in the day. We're still your reliable third party now. So, of course, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be campaigning uh, for all sorts of regulations. To, to, to help them. But the, the, the takeaway from this is all the people that scream and shout to this day like ignorant banshees about how Bitcoin is going to be made illegal. Not under that scenario. If all these powerful entities are already are already trying to get senators and congressmen to act in their way for Bitcoin, okay? They, they want big there. They want their piece of the freaking pie. It's not we're way past the point of return of, of making it of making it illegal. OK, there are too many wealthy entities in there that are already bribing their way to try to get favorable regulations in this industry. So, yeah, it sucks that there's there. There are entities that just love the regulation of Bitcoin. But the, the something that you could take away from it. Is that it's not Bitcoin's not the government is now past the point of no return where they could make Bitcoin illegal. They're not going to. There's too there's too many powerful entities involved in all of this at, at this point. But yeah, I, I do I do agree that it's going to the insanity is going to revolve around uh, custodial solutions, and you know you're not going to be maybe 
you're not going to be allowed to buy a trezor. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If you already have a freaking trezor, if you already have your own store, the, the nimble entities out there are going to find ways around all this. Be a nimble entity. Be a unique beast. Don't keep your money at a third party. You know, people are complaining. Coinbase uh, turned in some Russians or whatever. Why, why the heck are Russians keeping their uh, money at Coinbase in the first place? It's not a bank. If you're into Bitcoin, the proper way to do it is self-storage and everything. All right. So uh, I answered Matt's question. Ken, what was your take on what Matt said? Yeah. So so I think it's really interesting. On one hand, uh, my biggest concern around regulations are really around the on-ramps, the off-ramps, right? Because you need to be able to get money into Bitcoin or get money out of Bitcoin, especially, you know, that, that's the problem that our company tries to solve and help people live on Bitcoin. You know, you still have to pay merchants that don't accept Bitcoin directly, right? And that's typically where the government tries to get involved and monitor what's happening. Once you get involved with on-ramping and off-ramping, now you have all the chain analysis tools monitoring all of your on-chain transactions, right? So I think there's going to be regulations around the flow of on-chain transactions. And I think going back to what Guy was saying was that, you know, the lightning payments are becoming increasingly important. Any of these privacy preserving tools are going to be increasingly uh, important because that's where the innovation will be allowed to happen, right? And what we're going to see with these regulations is a large amount of regulatory capture from financial institutions, but also I think some of the larger crypto organizations, right? Uh, you know, what happens when the government wants to form uh, a new regulation? They say, well, we're going to reach out to the industry. We're going to bring the industry experts. Well, who are industry experts? Well, the CEOs of all the largest companies in that industry. Right. And they kind of help form that um, that regulation. And that is regulatory capturing that he said in every business school in the world. So that is I think, you know, that's the typical flow of these things that will make it more difficult for smaller companies to build in the space. And, and especially uh, when it touches on ramps and off ramps and doing things on chain, there's going to be more monitoring requirements. There's going to be paperwork. I think for a lot of people, it's going to seem really nonsensical. But uh, but again, I think the privacy preserving areas, Lightning Network specifically, is where a lot of future innovation is going to happen because you're going to exist somewhat outside of these regulatory uh, regimes. And that's that's where things obviously get really exciting. Well said, guys. Go, go freaking Lightning Network. Pound that like button. All right, Matt. So that was a beautiful question. You're a part of. I, I got something for you because you mentioned the uh, legislation versus the the regulatory state, which is totally unelected. Um, I don't believe in capital gains tax for Bitcoin. Obviously, this is this is a big thing I've been thinking about lately. And uh, it looks like Cynthia Loomis is trying to get something through that is on the road to that goal. And uh, she's she's proposed something here that would provide a tax exclusion of up to $600 so crypto users wouldn't be hit with a tax bill for buying the proverbial coffee. So, I mean, right now, I mean, you, you have to pay taxes on every, when you when you buy something with Bitcoin, you got to figure out how much you paid for it, the Bitcoin uh, originally, and now how much it's worth, what the difference is. And I mean, if you want to be totally anal, you know, even with the freaking uh, coffee, you got to report that to the IRS. So she's trying to, the first step would be like, if you're spending $600 or less, you don't have to worry about figuring that stuff out anymore. She's putting a bill out there. I, I, good job on her part. Uh, I, I don't see how any of these, uh, logically, all these people should support it, but they probably won't. So what's what's your take, Matt, on, on the $600 uh, possible exclusion? 
Well, you know, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a start, but I think the thing that people need to remember is, you know, taxation in general is theft. Um, and I would argue that the income tax that we pay, you know, obviously the IRS was created the same year that the federal reserve was created. And most of our income, our federal income taxes go to pay, uh, the principal plus interest, uh, that we owe, uh, the fed. So, uh, and this, this is a central bank that's creating currency out of thin air. So it's like, you know, what's this environment going to look like when the federal reserve falls apart, you know? Um, and so I, I mean, I think obviously I love Cynthia Lummis. I love what Ted Cruz is doing. I love what my friend Nathan Dom is doing running for us Senate. I worked with, I helped author legislation in Oklahoma in 2019 for some pro cryptocurrency bills. Um, and so I've been down that road. I've, I've, I've helped make the sausage, um, but I, I would I would say that you know the elimination of capital gains tax uh, is is great uh, when it comes to mining and staking. Uh, their proposal to allow the four hundred one ks and the IRAs to you know allow you to to buy you know cryptocurrency uh, without a big tax bill or without any major complications, uh, and then also fixing that whole broker language that was uh, slammed through Congress uh, earlier this year. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously, I think she's going in the right direction. Do I think she's going to be able to get it through the Senate? I don't know. I don't know. Dude, so are you a single issue voter here? This is this is where it starts on stuff like this. This is where I have proclaimed with the, with Dennis Porter, who was also in the Las Vegas event, um, that, yeah, the, I'm a Bitcoin single issue voter. OK, if, if you're going to be this is and this is a Bitcoin issue right here. If you support this, I'll support you. Okay, and th th we we got to get it out there right now. So, are you a Bitcoin single issue issue voter, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, anybody who's going to be pro Bitcoin, uh, I am. They've most certainly got my vote. I mean, because here's here's the deal: is like if we as Bitcoiners are going to make a substantial impact in legislation and in the whole process in general, uh, we not only have to be wealthy, uh, we not only need think tanks, but we also need to be a monster of a lobbying uh, machine. Uh, and uh, and we need to get behind and donate and support these candidates who are genuine and legitimately have a passion for Bitcoin, has a passion for sound money, um, and are going to, that are going to go in there. I mean, really it's a numbers game for us. And so we're just now getting into the game of politics, in my opinion. And I think it's now becoming a, uh, an issue uh, for, for voters. It's, it's on, it's becoming a part of the national debate slowly in a very small way. Um, but I think we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, ground to cover, but I think we can do it. Um, if, if we're going to operate in this current system as it is now. Well, I, I I'm making it a bigger part of what I do here is, is bringing up, uh, the, the single issue voter aspect of it, confronting some of these people. I'm glad you interviewed Nathan. Uh, we, we, we'll, we'll talk about that a, a little later too. I'm, I'm interested in him, but we got to ask Ken about this $600 thing because this affects your business, man. Uh, so what was what, your take? Yeah, I think it's great because it'll mean that we're not all criminals, right? How many <laughs> of us have gone to an event and we buy an ice cream cone with a small amount of Bitcoin, right? Like the, you know, um, uh, it, it's just not practical to track all of these things. Um, it's, it's just complete. It's like cash. If every time you bought something with cash, you have to track it somewhere, like it becomes an absolute nightmare and, and everybody in Bitcoin is probably a criminal according to the IRS because we didn't, you know, pay, pay a dollar in some tax or something. Right. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I think it's really important that, um, you know, we at least start with that under $600, 
it'll probably get reduced from there. I wouldn't be surprised if it went down $200. Oh. I don't think it will go up ever above that $600, right? As much as it'd be great to get rid of the capital gains, get rid of all these taxes and stuff. I, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. I, I, I'll throw out a bit of a, uh, maybe a contrarian idea in that uh, there could actually be a benefit to making sure that all of these transactions remain taxable because it just highlights the absurdity of a lot of these regulations. And uh, I, I think there's a trend we've been seeing over the last few years of people just kind of disregarding a lot of regulations, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, people kind of ignoring fireworks laws near me, you know, people started ignoring you know, marijuana laws and, you know, as that tends to be more legal. And I think that's going to happen around a lot of uh, crypto and capital gains stuff also. Uh, not that I encourage any of that behavior whatsoever. I want to state that for the record, but I just think that as a, as a matter of practice and just being, you know, practically existing in this new economy with Bitcoin, um, you know, everybody recognizing the absurdity of it, uh, you know, th there, there may be some benefit to that in, in just educating people. What'll and be I really interesting is once a cup of coffee is $600 in the near future, how is it going to play out? <laughs> there's, a really there's a really interesting point there because a lot of our regulations are tied to the absolute value. You know, they're, they're denominated in U.S. dollars, right? Like for us, for example, uh, you know, on our platform, if you want to spend Bitcoin, you don't need KYC. And there's a limit. You can, you can spend up to $1,000 per purchase without KYC. But with inflation, what's that $1,000 going to get you in a few years? And you know the government's not going to increase that limit ever. Right. So, uh, so just something, something to note that's interesting. Dude, and we're going to talk about pay with moon. You, you got a good thing going on over there, man. Uh, but let's, uh, let's take uh, Guy Swan here on uh, the, the, the proposed legislation. Um, I think it's common sense. Um, it's a, it's a decent start to something that should happen. Like the idea of taxing, taxing, you know, 30 cent worth of gains on a $5 coffee is just idiotic. Um, and, you know, nobody's going to report it. Um, and, and I don't, I, I don't think anybody should feel like obligated to in like those things. Like even if you're and with the volatility of Bitcoin, you have no idea whether or not you made a gain or a loss on something so tiny. So if they want to come audit you for a hundred, $2 or $3 payments or your value for value streaming, on uh on you know fountain app or whatever well you might owe you a couple of bucks at the end of it and they'll spend thousands of dollars just sending somebody out to do it so like of course of course like people aren't going to go through all of that headache they'll make their big purchases on swan or coinbase or bull bitcoin whatever it is uh and they'll report that because that's what makes sense and that's where all the gains and relevant shift in price is anyway um, and, uh, the, all of that stuff underneath should be exempt. It's stupid. It's stupid. If, if we don't get to see how many millions of dollars Nancy Pelosi buys in Tesla three days before the government announces that they're going to go full electric. And then she makes, you know, triple her money in a matter of a few days on options contracts. And we're not allowed to see that the idea that the average person should report every apps, every coffee purchase that they make because they may have pulled. 30 cent um out of out of the price of bitcoin when the when the volatility of the dollar is insane when nickel doubles and uh when when a, a literal a physical nickel a physical u.s nickel is worth 
nine cents because of the volatility? Am I am I supposed to report that? I mean, technically, yeah, I should report a capital gains on any nickels that I have lying around the house because they went from five cent to nine if I melt them down and sold them. It's it's stupid. It's just stupid. It's it's the same bureaucratic bloat that we always have to deal with. And it's just some idiot who doesn't who doesn't live in the real world thinking that this is the way things should work. I don't think it's it's questionable whether or not it gets pushed through, but it's not enforceable anyway. Like it's it, it's such a it's such a micromanaging thing. The IRS is already a bloated disaster that can't enforce the rules they already have. It's only going to get worse. They're only going to cause more disrespect and more violation if they make their rules as dumb as they are and continue them. If they want to get any semblance of respect and um, adherence to the rules, they need to make the rules make sense. They need to make the rules make sense. Will they? Eh, I don't know. But if they don't, then they only hurt themselves because people will just stop following them out of recognition that it's just the whole thing is stupid and it's pointless to even try. Well, they, they love to leave things ambiguous so that they just in case it can make anybody a criminal, it seems like. Uh, I, I do want to say I, I aim high, man. I want to get rid of all those capital gains on, on Bitcoin. OK, so if it's a first step for sure. Yeah. If, if it's a first step, it's a first step. Are you a single issue voter, man? Are you going to are you going to jump on that train and just proclaim that, dudes, I just want to hear about Bitcoin. From you. I I have. Got, I mean, yes. Yes. The short answer is yes. Um, yes. Like in the context of like, do I care now? Like these days, what they do with all of the dollar side of government programs and stuff. I have no control over it anyway. So why would I care? You know, like. Like me voting against national, like the government running the healthcare system has not stopped them from basically running the healthcare system and turning it into a bloated disaster where the profits are privatized and all the costs are socialized. Like it didn't, like it never worked. So why would I care about trying to vote, like waste my time trying to figure out those issues when I feel like I have absolutely zero power over those issues? So yes, I should only care about and will only care about, and if I vote again, it will be purely for Bitcoin um, and they can have whatever other stupid policies in dollar world that they want, because I think the funding of those problems is solved by making Bitcoin work, by making Bitcoin the standard. So the transition is to just get to a Bitcoin world and all of that other stuff goes away anyway. Everything, all the other frivolous, just print $2 trillion of debt to pay for A, B and C stupid plans goes away when you can't print two trillion dollars <laughs> so yes i am a single issue voter because i think the bitcoin vote solves all of the other stuff that i currently that it currently doesn't matter which way i vote on um but uh i don't know i don't know if i'll vote a whole lot anyway i my last vote the last time i voted for anything was ron paul and that may be i may just want to keep it forever the last time i voted for anything <laughs> But, um, but the, we'll see. We'll the thing see. is, though, you, you don't even have to vote. You could just say, uh, comment on social media on certain races. I only care about Bitcoin. And it will put these sociopathic leaders True. into a position where they're going to have to, they're going to feel pressure that the Bitcoin lobby is bigger than, is big. Is that They're going to have to conform and not do insane things. So, Ken, I forgot to ask you that question, man. Are you going to, are you a Bitcoin single issue voter? I think for the most part, right? You know, I think if if a politician is supportive of Bitcoin and favorable regulations towards Bitcoin, they probably align with me on many other aspects. So, 
you know, unless they are, you know, promoting genocide or some other wacky thing like that, uh, yeah, I'm probably with them. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, fa it's a fascinating development to watch the political space, uh, who's adopting Bitcoin and who's, who's not. Uh, obviously, we talk about single issue voters, but uh, I think there's a certain type of individual and a certain type of uh, politician who has certain policy ideas that gravitate towards Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think right now there is there is a yeah. stereotype. There is I mean it's not a stereotype. It, it's re, it's reality. But there are some people that are silently, uh, quietly opening their minds that 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 are surprising. And I'm glad people are working with those people on on, on that side of the aisle. Uh, so I, I'll keep bringing this up in in future shows. I I, I want to say I I said earlier in the show I was going to tell some people some insider information from Las Vegas. So pay attention. Don't ask me this question ever again, people who are paying attention. Charlie Lee was at uh, Tone Base's event on the first day. He was secretly there. He said hi to me. It was great to meet Charlie Lee in person. Um, and uh, yeah, you guys, should, I told people to come to Tone's event. It was a great thing. So let me quickly, we're going to talk about Miami real quick. And everybody on the show is going to talk about what they're personally doing, their businesses, their radio shows, their, their whatever, because all three of these dudes are, are amazing guests that are really in motion. So I got to read this off. Bitcoin 2022 is the largest Bitcoin event ever that takes place April 6th and 9th in Miami Beach, Florida. I am going to be there all and all four days will be packed with exclusive content, exciting announcements, an incredible lineup of expert Bitcoin speakers. Okay, so it's worth it. And, and leaders. Day one is industry day for those of you who like to, uh, you know, build a, a Bitcoin business or career. You can network that day. You can yenta that day. I don't care what you do that day. Days two and three are general conference days featuring speakers like El Salvador, El Presidente Nayib Bukele. Uh, who has promised a big surprise, U.S. Senator Cynthia Lomas, who we were just talking about of Wyoming. She's going to be there. Thought leaders like Jordan Peterson. That's pretty cool. Um, also, uh, CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and hundreds more. And literally, there's going to be 30,000 people there. So it, it is massive. We're going to be super spreading the Bitcoin word, not super spreading some disease you know that they were complaining about last year that people were like oh how can so many people get together and people aren't getting sick it's called real life dudes get used to it the uh the conference caps off with the world's first and largest uh bitcoin music festival i'm not going to sell the last year's conference sold out this year's is on pace to be three times larger so make sure you grab your tickets uh, before it's too late use my link below pay uh and uh use code adam10 for 10% off and I will see you in Miami. So the, the, the question is to, to Matthew Moore, are you going to be in Miami? But more also important, uh, am I going to see you in Oklahoma City on April, the uh, on March 26th, where you can also use the Adam 10 discount code to get a 10% discount on uh, the Bitcoin Day event in Oklahoma City. So I'm asking you about two events at once because I'm trying to combine all this stuff real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So answer is yes and yes. Uh, so uh, we are uh, media partners with uh, the Bitcoin conference. So I'm excited to go down there. And uh, I went last year, but this time it's it's going to be a little bit different. I get to, to go mix and mingle with some some big players and get some sound bites for the for the radio show. 
but it was it was an absolute blast, perfect networking opportunity. Uh, I think, and I've been telling everybody to go. In fact, we've got uh, twenty about twenty different Okies coming down. We're building a whole coalition and uh, from our state, and uh, and then we're you know we've been talking on the radio saying, hey, if you can't afford to you know go to Miami, uh, come to Oklahoma City for Bitcoin Day. Uh, you know, we're going to basically be doing a, a smaller version of that. I know uh, Adam's going to be there uh, and, and uh, I'll be on a panel as well. Uh, but it's, it's going to be a blast. And uh, this, this is uh, one of my favorite things to do. All right. So, again, give the, give, give the, the info on Bitcoin Day in, in Oklahoma City. Again, you're in Tulsa, so you're going to have to go to Oklahoma City. But that's great. That's cool. You're bringing all of Oklahoma and the world together in Oklahoma City. It is March 26th, correct? It is a Saturday. March 26th, Saturday. Yeah, so March, yeah, March 26th, uh, and uh, there's there's going to be um, you know a lot of people from Tulsa coming. So I would highly encourage anybody who's interested in Bitcoin uh, and is in the area come to Oklahoma City. You know, uh, for me, it's only about an hour and a half down the turnpike. It's linked to below. Adam ten discount code gets you ten percent off. Let's move on. Uh, I know I, I don't know Ken. You might have to get out of here pretty soon. So I want you. Are you going to be Miami? But Ken. Tell us about your company. Tell us exactly about what, what it is, what you're doing and all sure. that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my company's called Moon. You can uh, check us out at paywithmoon.com. A lot of people know us as paywithmoon or at paywithmoon on Twitter. Um, what we allow consumers to do is create these virtual Visa cards, load them with Bitcoin, and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere Visa is accepted. Uh, best part is it's the most private way to spend your Bitcoin. There's no KYC requirement. So we preserve your privacy. You can load a card directly from your favorite Lightning Network wallet. And ultimately, what we're trying to build is a, a platform for you to live entirely on Bitcoin while upholding the values of the Bitcoin community. Privacy, security, and frankly, you shouldn't have to pay any fees to spend your own money. So that's what we're building. Uh, in terms of the Bitcoin conference, uh, I will be there. Our company will be there in force. We're flying everybody in. We'll have a booth. You could stop by, get some swag. Whoa! Whoa, uh, big spender! Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Whoa. Whoa, I wasn't counting on this one. I, yeah. I mean, you're at Toad's event, but Jay, you're taking it to a new level. This company is serious stuff, oh, we're about it. We are about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be hosting a panel on uh, the future of uh, uh, payments infrastructure for Bitcoin with some really exciting folks. So uh, so that'll be great. I'll be participating in, in events throughout the entire entire time. So uh, if, if anybody in the audience will be there and, and you want to meet up, you can reach out to me at Ken at paywithmoon.com. Always happy to hear from people. Dude, now, they, all three of these guys are linked to below. Pay with Moon, which is a really cool company. It's linked to below. It's linked to below. Awesome. Did you have the, also, did you have a good time in Las Vegas? Uh, it was at, great. It was great. I liked it. It was a smaller event. I got to, you know, it was my first time in a poker tournament. I did far better than I expected. I, I beat Tone, which that really was the thing that made me really happy. But I, I'd lost shortly after after he got uh, out of the tournament. So, uh, so yeah, it was a great time. It's always nice to go to a smaller event where you can really get to talk to people and, and spend some of that quality time. Yeah, I, that, that was one of the cool things about it. And, again, people, don't be afraid. Come up to any of us at any event and talk to – I mean, that's – you're paying to get in. Talk to the people, dude. Make the most of it. That's why you go to these events, networking and all. And it was great to, to meet so many people. There. And there were like, you know, 300, 400 people there. I don't know how many. It was, it was good. It's small compared to 30 freaking – Miami is the freaking Super Bowl of it all. <laughs> so, guy, you were – I saw Guy last year in Miami. I, that was great. That was the first time I met him in person. He's been on the show for years and years and years. Uh, will you be this year? And uh, what did you think of Vegas uh, this year? 
no, Vegas was a great time. Vegas was a great time. The only thing, this is actually my first time in Vegas, believe it or not. Um, but uh, uh, Bitcoin 2022, I'm going to be hosting a, uh, I'm host of Bitcoin Audible, by the way, um, uh, show where, uh, and the most recent thing I'm reading right now, about halfway through it, is Alex Gladstein's piece on the invisible cost of war. Really good. Um, I got three new audiobooks dropped in my lap basically in the last two days. Uh, Alex Gladstein's uh, looks like I'm going to be doing his. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure. Well, I don't want to say anything about that one yet because because I'm not certain. And then Knut uh, has just dropped uh, his new book, um, and I'll be doing that one. Uh, so lots of lots of audio on the way, um, and uh, I got some really fun stuff uh, in the works for a guy's take on probably next week. Um, a crazy, crazy bullish episode. Uh, I think of stuff I've been notes I've been pulling together for about six months. Um, so uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, and uh, I'll be doing at least one. I think there's discussions of maybe something else, but I'll be hosting a panel on um, being sovereign in 2020 in the 2020s. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about that one too. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be awesome. Okay. I'm, I'm really so you'll be hosting a panel at in mm -hmm. Miami, so I will see you again. This is great. This is you know everybody's in motion on this freaking. Uh, I bring you the best freaking guest in the space. Pound that like button, everybody. Retweet this. Spread the word so more people. You know, here this is unique beast type of stuff. This isn't. We don't have girls in bikinis here talking about uh, Doge and, uh, and and nonsense like that. This is the real hardcore stuff. You're gonna. I mean, this company here. I mean, you're gonna hear about it in the future. You're getting insider information. You're hearing about how Charlie Lee was undercover at freaking in Las Vegas. Okay, so <laughs> Matt, we're gonna. Uh, uh, guy, anything else you want to talk about that that, 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 you, that you're doing, man? And anything else? He's linked to below, of course. Oh, are you talking to me? No, 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 but guy, is it is it for, okay. Matt? We're going to conclude with you, actually. But guy, what what is uh, any other uh, projects or anything like that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, whoops, sorry, I was muted. Um, yes. It's just Bitcoin Audible, and uh, I got a lot of bunch of bunch of fun memes and stuff on the way. You know, I got my my uh, high class meme crafting, uh, and uh, I I enjoy that a lot. So keep an eye out. Follow uh, the guy Swan on Twitter. I got some got some fun shit to drop there. <laughs> But that's right. it. That's it. All right. So, 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 so with Matt, I reached out to Matt, I think at the end of last year, I read a story about Matt because I actually read. Most people just drool and look at YouTube or listen to things and they don't take anything in. I actually have reading comprehension. And I hear about this guy in freaking Oklahoma who he has a radio show for Bitcoin. I mean, and so it sounds really old school, but I love it. He's like, Target targeting a local population that might not hear that much about Bitcoin in Tulsa and, and over a medium that doesn't talk that much about Bitcoin. I immediately talked, you know, went back and forth with him over DM. And then eventually I find out I'm going to be on the same event as him. I get him on the show. Really friendly guy. I, I just want to say as a kid, I a huge Baltimore Orioles fan and uh, the lockout just ended. And my father and I would listen to the radio together. So I have fond, fond memories of the radio. Incre a blessed memory, my father. 
And uh, to think of, you know, I, I'm glad that the radio, you know, again, there's there's many more technologically advanced things in the radio right now, but it's still out there and you're using it to the maximum. And when I hear things like that, it makes me really smile and you're reaching out to boomers. You're doing a good thing. So tell us a little bit about your radio show real quick. And also that that candidate that you had on your radio show, he's definitely still running for Senate and he's running against an incumbent, right? So, uh that guy, hey, you I, had just a question. Wanna, I just want to, yeah, I just want to interrupt real quick. I actually have to go now. Yeah. Um, it was awesome hanging out. Adam, thanks for having me on the show. Yes. Uh, uh, Matt and uh, Pay with Moon, we need to, we need to hit up and uh, I'll probably, hopefully, I'll see you guys at Bitcoin 2022. Yeah. How about like, but thank you guys, Swan. Thank you, man. So, Later, guys. All right. So, so Matt, Matt, you take it away, baby. Yeah. Uh, so I'm basically double dipping with the radio stuff. Ever, I get that comment. I was down at Miami last year with my my ask me about my Bitcoin radio shirts, and I'm oh. going to have those again. Yeah, yeah. But, please have one, have one for me, please. The medium. Oh, yeah, medium, absolutely. Medium. Yeah. I will wear it on my show. I will wear it. On my <laughs> I forgot to tell you that off air. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I can get to um, But the comment that I got at the Bitcoin conference last year. Yeah. So the comment I got last year at the Bitcoin conference was, why are you doing radio? That's so old school. And I'm like, what they don't realize is, A, I'm targeting baby boomers who have all the money right now. Uh, and B, I'm casting a wide net evangelizing Bitcoin. Uh, and C, I'm double dipping because every time I go live over the air, uh, those recorded episodes are populated on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes. So basically, I have a podcast and a radio show. So if you're interested in checking it out, uh, go to mattjmore.com, and I'm sure Adam's going to have the stuff in the in the links there. And yes, uh, Adam, you're right. Uh, one of my good friends, he's a state senator here in Oklahoma. Uh, in 2019, I helped him author some legislation very similar to what Wyoming was doing uh, for Oklahoma. He has a very well understanding of Bitcoin. He's a sound money guy. Uh, and so if we want another uh, Cynthia Lummis or, or somebody like like Ted Cruz is getting excited about Bitcoin, just anybody who's pro Bitcoin um, and is not going to be harmful to the in industry. I would encourage you go check them out. Dom for Senate. You can, you know, you can check it out on my Spotify uh, or even on my, my website. Um, but it, listen to the episode, hear what he has to say. He's extremely intelligent. He's a constitutionalist. Um, and, uh, and for the most part, he's going to be a big advocate uh, for Bitcoin. And the seat that he's running in is not an incumbent. He's actually, um, we have an interesting race in Oklahoma. So there is an incumbent that's being challenged. Uh, but our other senator, Jim Inhofe, uh, is actually uh, stepping down from his seat because he's as old as dirt. Um, but uh, he's done. Uh, he's basically, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think he might be sick. But uh, so, anyways, Nathan is going to be running uh, for that open seat uh, for the U.S. Senate uh, from Oklahoma. Okay. It's an open seat. That is. Very important to know. Why did I did read one thing? Did he drop out? Is he he's officially in it? There's no dropping out or anything like that. I thought I read. No, something. so yeah, so Nathan Nathan was originally building his campaign, running in the one that was against the incumbent. But then once he found out the other senator, who was the sitting senator Jim Inhofe, uh, was no longer going to run again, or actually is going to step down due to his age. Uh, it, it allowed an opening. So now it's going to be a special election, an open seat. And so now he's going to throw his hat in that race. So he's basically just transitioning from one race to the other. But it's a pretty smooth transition because it's both for the U.S. Senate uh, and it's both a federal election. In, Inhofe is 87 years old. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's old. He's old. Uh, 
Unbelievable. You know, back in the day, there was strong Thurman. He lasted until he was a hunter. Okay, okay. All right, let's uh, and we'll we'll end it. Ken, you, you stuck around the whole time, man. Anything you want to add to, before we end the show here? Uh, not particularly. I just can't say enough how uh, everybody should go to Bitcoin 2022 in Miami. It's going to be wild. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's like the biggest thing of the year that I'm excited for personally. Also, I, I obviously I'm pumped for it too. We got a lot coming up. It's it's a, and hey, I will be on Math Matthew's show here real soon too. We're recording it what next Sunday, uh, but I'm going to meet Matthew in person. Get the, the T-shirt that I'm going to wear forever. I'm a big T-shirt guy. You might not know that about. What size are you? A medium. I put, I actually DM'd it to you. I am so. <laughs> no one believes me that I actually own Bitcoin because I'm so into like free freaking t-shirts. I love free t It's great. Whatever. I, I <laughs> yeah, people, why does he care so much about capital gains tax? If you only knew people. All right, dudes, pound that like button. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Best guest in the space. Retweet this stuff and follow all three of these dudes, especially these two guys that you might not know yet. You all know Guy Swan, but these two dudes are freaking awesome, awesome, also. And I really look forward to meeting them in person. And I really had a fun time. It was a unique beast type of show. And I'm trying to think about if I forgot any, anything else to mention. That's it. We'll 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 see you next Friday, though. I'm going to bring you. There's going to be another new guest actually who's speaking in Oklahoma City. Also, and so, we'll, and that's like the Oklahoma City link. You can get tickets to Bitcoin Day, a great organization um, that's putting on events all over the United States. Uh, and I'm the MC at the uh, at the one in Oklahoma City. We'll see how it goes from there. Pound that like button. Everybody have a great weekend. See you soon. Bye bye, everyone. Thank you.